1: Hello and welcome to 4th Estate, a show about journalism. We are coming to you from 2SER in Sydney, on the Gadigal lands of the Eora Nation, right across Australia on the Community Radio Network, and directly to your device across the globe via podcast. I'm Marlene Even. What is the one essential tool that all journalists use? Smartphones. With this one device, journalists can do it all – research, create content, broadcast, and promote stories, so it's no surprise that mobile journalism, or MOJO in short, is a highly sought-after skill in the media industry. In this episode of Fourth Estate, we discuss mobile journalism training, how does Australia compare to other countries, what MOJO skills do we need in our newsrooms, and what challenges are there? To discuss this and more, we are joined by two Mojo experts, Corin Podger, Director and Principal of the Digital Skills Agency, and a qualified trainer for the BBC and Reuters, and Saffron Howden, National Editorial Trainer for Australian Community Media. Welcome to For the State. Thanks for having me, Marlene.
0: Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here.
1: So let's get straight into it. What makes someone a mobile journalist? Do they have to have all their work from a smartphone to be defined as a mojo? I'll, I'll go to you first, Corinne.
2: Uh, I don't think so. I mean, mobile means two different things, right? So it means both mobile phone, but it also means the ability to be mobile. Uh, and so my view is if it fits in a backpack, uh, it's mojo. And, you know, the reality is that most people are filming on a phone, but editing on a desktop. There are a bunch of reasons why we can get into that um, further in the show.
1: And Saffron, how does it compare to traditional practices of news gathering? Yeah,
0: look, it certainly um, means that you get to build and develop your skills. Um, I think the thing I love about mobile journalism is the opportunities it opens up to tell stories in a whole lot of different ways. And that's what excites me, the journalist in me, um, not the trainer but the journalist, um, because, you know, you're no longer sort of tied to I'm a print journalist so I write my stories or I'm a TV journalist so I front the camera and I've got a camera operator with me and we're just getting the vision. Um, you know, you're able to do all of that. Um, And it means that you can be so much more agile depending on the story. That's what's really fun about it. So if it's a really visual story, then maybe you spend more time covering that, you know, producing a video. Um, If it's really important to to explain it properly and to get it, um, you know, to really capture the voices in it, maybe you do audio, you know, maybe you do a podcast. um, And then you know, if it needs a lot of explanation and details and stats and all of that kind of stuff, maybe it's a, you know, you spend more time on the the written component of your story. I just think it opens up this world of possibility, um, mobile journalism that we didn't have at our fingertips earlier. And it's a great leveller as well. It means that, um, you know, we're all playing in the same game now.
1: And what's an example of a mojo story or a story that as a mobile journalist that you can do better than traditional forms of news gathering?
0: I would say most stories. Um, I think most stories lend themselves in one way or another to different types of multimedia, uh, which, uh, you know, Mojo allows you to encompass all of those. I think there are still stories, like I just said, that are, are sort of better told, um, you know, you've got to kind of choose your medium. And the fact that we have the choice to choose our medium now is is phenomenal. It's so much fun. Um, I think, you know, Things like breaking news, um, you know, for for Australian community media, which has like 140 regional titles and the Canberra Times around Australia, um, being able to be on scene when something's happened, maybe it's a bushfire, maybe it's a flood, maybe it's an accident, and being able to Um, not only write that story and do all the usual things you do as a journalist but also show it, um, be able to just whip out your phone um, and and show your readers um, this is what's happening right here, right now. Um, So breaking news definitely but there's a whole bunch of stories and I'm sure Corinne has, you know, much better examples as well with your experience um, training people around the world um, of all the different types of stories um, you can tell better with Mojo.
2: I think what's exciting about it is that you can use your phone in situations where it would be difficult or impossible to take in traditional equipment. Um, In fact, I think quite a lot of journalists have jumped the fence from traditional equipment into using a smartphone because they've had to, right? So the camera didn't work or it got held up at customs or it got broken. Do you know what I mean? So those kinds of situations where people go, oh, I guess I'll have to use my phone. And then actually the content turns out to be perfectly fine. Um, And for the most part, not necessarily indistinguishable from something that's been um, recorded or filmed on a traditional device, but indistinguishable unless you tell people that that's what was used to make it. So I can spot. Um, smartphone footage but I have to think about it and as long as the story is solid it doesn't really matter do you know what I mean in 2015 Nick Garnett who's a BBC journalist was in Kathmandu um, for something else and he happened to be there while the earthquake kicked off and you know he was able to record that um, and tell that story in a way that would have been impossible with traditional equipment um, and straight away, you know, go live on his phone, do radio, do TV uh, spots and so on immediately. Um, and, you know, that's very different to, uh, you know, five years before that sort of 2010 to 12, where, you know, you have to get a team in, you've got to get a satellite phone, you've got to get all that equipment in, and it just takes time, you know, by which time that those sort of early moments um, have, have moved on. I think just to build on what Saffron's saying, I think there are times when you do want a particular kind of camera or you do want a particular kind of uh, audio setup, for example, if you're doing radio or podcasting. What's exciting to me about smartphones is that it adds something to the equipment list um, that changes the kinds of stories that you can tell. And, and as Saffron says, you know, it's it's ubiquitous um, there are pros and cons for people using their own phones as opposed to a staff issued phone. But let's say they are using their own phone, um, then the the net cost once you've bought that is very low. And it means that you can put a camera or a microphone in the hands of a lot more people.
1: And I'm wondering in terms of the people that you're interviewing as well, whether having just a smartphone with you is is sort of a less intimidating way of approaching people rather than a whole camera set, a whole crew. Saffron, have you found that? It actually works both ways. It's really interesting, really
0: interesting question to ask because um, with our journalists at ACM, they're obviously in, you know, country towns and, and cities, um, and in this day and age, People are more wary than they used to be generally. I mean, I've been, in, you know, a journalist for 20 years and, and people are more distrustful these days because they know, you know, so many things can be, um, you know, altered and changed and people are not who they say they are and people are much more conscious of those kind of things. So in some ways the answer to that is yes. Um, it is less intimidating than having a massive, you know, camera stuck in your face which, is, you know, weighs 50 kilograms. Um, In others, it actually makes it harder for journalists because they've got to prove to the person they're interviewing that they're a legitimate journalist doing a legitimate job um, because all they're using is their smartphone. So um, I think, you know you know for us it's become more important to have now we're practicing mobile journalism to have id for instance so you can't just say oh i'm from the you know the naracorp paper in south australia or i'm from the Ilawar mercury in wollongong you've got to say you know because you could be anybody just holding a phone up to someone's face it's definitely less intimidating obviously um but yeah you you've kind of you've got to you've got to cope with that um, the change in attitudes is is part of it, but also you don't, you don't, you know, you look the same as everyone else now if you're just using your phone, right?
2: There was a really interesting study uh, that the Reuters Institute for the Study of Journalism published in 2017. It was one of those fellowship programs that if anyone's um, listening and interested in doing that, you can apply to go and spend three to six months at Oxford University studying something. And there was a journalist from Finland called Pan- Panu Kahunen who did Exactly this he uh, tested in a shopping mall, uh, who was more likely to agree to be to be interviewed um, with a traditional camera versus a smartphone, and also asked what their views were afterwards, whether they felt that it was serious or not. And what was so interesting was there was a higher take up of the invitation to be interviewed, but there was also this feeling that perhaps it didn't look that serious, and the. The thing that flipped people's minds to accepting this setup um, was putting the phone on a tripod because the tripod makes you look like a real journalist. Um, And, of course, something else is to add branding, you know. So if your um, microphone windsock has branding on it like the BBC's does, they've got those quite distinctive red ones with the BBC logo on it, um, you know, or a sticker just something that says, yep, I'm from the ABC or I'm from ACM or I'm from wherever, Uh, that also just says, and and as Saffron's mentioned, you know, a lanyard with your name on it and where you work so that the person that you're talking to um, takes you seriously. There are instances where people have not been allowed into press conferences if they're just carrying a smartphone, Um, more so in, surprisingly, um, more so in developing country contexts I think. So even though there are more, I think, mobile journalists in um, emerging economy contexts than there are perhaps in um, Global North, there's also a discomfort amongst officials to accept mobile journalism sometimes. And so that's something also to think about is what kind of equipment and accessories are you bringing with you, including a tripod, um, to make it look like you are what you are, which is a legitimate reporter.
1: That's really interesting, the idea of having that awareness as well of mobile journalism, Um, which brings me to the next question on how Australia sits worldwide. Are many Australian newsrooms training mobile journalism? And and Corinne, you travel around the world training journalists. How does Australia compare to other countries in terms of practising mobile journalists and also the attitude towards mobile journalism?
2: Catching up fast. You know, three or four years ago, maybe five or six years ago, uh, I was having conversations with newsrooms here to say, you guys should be doing mobile journalism. And it was really hard to get buy in. So I was doing loads of training outside of Australia and very little here. Um, There was a hybrid kit that the ABC rolled out, I think it was around 2018 19, which was a DSLR camera and a smartphone. Um, And, you know, it just took a long time. But now, I mean, in the last 18 months, so Saffron's been doing a huge amount of training through ACM. um, The ABC has just been rolling out nationwide training to regional and local newsrooms. And look, it's not rocket science, right? That I think is also one of the attractions of smartphone journalism is um, I want to differentiate a good eye for videography And the ability to choose what to shoot is separate to the ability to use the controls on the camera, right? So there's a particular professionalism that someone who has put a lot of time and energy and years into good videography, good photography, good radio, good podcasting, but the equipment is fast to learn, right? And that I think is really exciting is that if you're deciding to get onto the the wagon it, you don't need a lot to just get a leg up and get get moving. What do you think, from?
0: Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, what's really interesting as I train um, more and more regional journalists in mobile journalism, or at least help them to hone their skills, because a lot of them uh, um, come to particularly younger journos come to um, newsrooms now with some skills through university or just picked up because, you know, they grew up with smartphones and they know how to video stuff and that kind of thing. I think it's really interesting to see photographers, of course, because they've got a visual eye, um, produce um, sometimes when there are some great visual journos as well, um, but often produce these really beautiful videos within um, news videos within a short amount of time because they're applying the practices that they had in photography to videography. So they very quickly produce, once they've got the sort of the technical know-how, they quickly produce these amazing Um, news videos as well um, that are visually appealing as well as, as, you know, containing all the news values. Um, So there's probably a bit of a catch-up to go for, um, you know, journalists who are used to writing scripts and writing, you know, news stories and that kind of thing because you've kind of got to develop a visual eye particularly to do those those videos well. Um, But in terms of the overall question about, you know, where Australia sits and obviously Corinne has that worldview, which is great. I think um, I would agree that we're catching up very fast. Um, I think it's really exciting to see regional journalists in Australia um, grabbing these skills and running with them. You know, regional journalists, you know, they're often the only journal in town. Or, you know, they're one of just a couple or one of, you know, a, a small cohort if you sort of include the local paper journals, plus the ABC and then maybe a couple of commercial radio stations. And that's still a very small group of people, right? And what's beautiful about Mojo is that um, you can bring that very local scene, that very local story, you can bring that immediately back to your, your local audience, to your regional audience, to your national audience in a way that um, we just couldn't do, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. The places, I mean, I think Cora mentioned it right at the beginning, just being able to get into places that you wouldn't otherwise with, you know, a whole lot of equipment or because you didn't have the training or because you want to train camera operator, you know, and now you can somewhere quite remote, somewhere quite, you know, cut off from things, as long as you can get some reception, which... Isn't great in
2: Australia in regional areas.
0: It depends on where you are. You know, it means that you can bring these stories that otherwise would only have been heard by a very local audience, and within, you know, twenty four hours of the news breaking, it can be hitting everyone's, you know, laptops and phones um, within an hour, within half an hour. And I think, you know, you see it with things on a world scale, like, um, you know, the fall of Kabul last year, uh, where we had Afghan journalists able to immediately through social media um, get the footage, um, you know, of what was happening at the airport um, and that kind of thing can happen now too so people can really see the devastation of a bushfire or a flood, you know, or, or something happening which is quite remote from them but still it, it's news, it's about us all, right, it's about humanity. So I think that's, um, yeah, it's a really, really exciting space to be in as as Australia does pick up on this.
1: And Corinne, I'm wondering does the rise and rise of more mojo journalists, does that change the mediascape to make it more accessible and inclusive for journalists?
2: Yes, absolutely. It does make storytelling more accessible. What's exciting about smartphones is that even in emerging economy contexts, people will prioritise getting a smartphone over quite a few other Um, what we might see as necessity purchases, right? Certainly over something like a laptop. Um, And so what this means is that broadly speaking, um, a lot of the audience here in Australia, for sure, and then internationally to a larger degree than you might think, have access to a smartphone. It's a means of telling stories in the first person, which is what we're seeing now on TikTok and Instagram Reels. Um, It is a means of Uh, people being able to carry equipment who might not previously have been able to participate in storytelling. You know, Saffron mentioned earlier that the camera weighs 50 kilos, right? I weigh 50 kilos. So one of the things that really excited me about getting into mobile journalism, um, and I first came across it in London in 2012, Um, I had just come out of an ABC newsroom where the combined weight of the equipment that was used to do television was about 25 kilos so that was an occupational health and safety issue for quite a lot of people in the newsroom in particular women right because women tend to be a bit shorter and not, not you know and, and there are different kinds of occupational health and safety requirements do you know what I mean like that's a kind of crazy thing that would exclude people um, I've seen smartphones used very excitingly um, at Fijian Broadcasting Corporation Uh, which when I was last uh, working with them on a Mojo course was, I think, 2018, um, they were using phones to keep women um, able to continue to participate in the newsroom into their pregnancies, right? So instead of having to go on maternity leave earlier than one might or stop doing videography earlier than one might, Um, There was a journalist there called Rosa who was still producing video content into her sixth and seventh months of pregnancy. That's not possible to do as a self-shooter if you're carrying around 25 to 30 kilos of equipment. Um, You know, we've also seen people using it who um, perhaps have um, physical disabilities. So there's a wonderful mobile journalist in the UK called Ellis Palmer um, who has cerebral palsy and he does fantastic work around disability inclusion. And then it's also bringing in voices that we might not ordinarily hear from, um, in and certainly in the first person. Um, one of the genres of TikTok that I got very excited about when I first jumped on the platform in twenty twenty was Indigenous TikTok. You know, so first person storytelling um, from remote communities in Australia. Um, there are also people on TikTok, um, you know, in, in Indigenous communities in in Canada. Um, all the way through Africa. It's very exciting and Pacific talk as well. So, you know, it's bringing new voices into journalism and also around journalism, right? I think perhaps we can talk a, a little bit about that is is perhaps the folks that journalists haven't always managed to talk to or thought to talk to can talk directly to a community and an audience themselves with a phone.
1: Saffron, did you have anything to add to that? No
0: look, I think you know it's a it's an interesting um mobile journalism and and the since the the digital revolution whatever we know call call it came along it this was this was starting to happen anyway, but there is now a blurring of the lines between that sort of you know loosely termed citizen journalism and professional journalism um and as you know as a professional journalist um i I think that um you know we we need to be cautious about that that line in the industry because a professional journalist has, you know, been trained in sort of, um, you know, to, well, they're professionals, right? So um, they're doing this as a job. Um, they've got a code of ethics normally, whether it's an industry code or their, their employer's code on the whole. And of course, there are always exceptions that ruin everything for the rest of us. But Um, you know, on the whole, you know, they're doing it because, you know, they got into journalism because they believe in the public's right to know without fear or favour. You know, they apply their objective lens, no matter what their their personal views on things. Um, Citizen journalists, of course, don't have those um, restrictions. And, um, and that means that, you know, you can, you can You know, you might be very politically invested in something and use the same skills that journalists, professional journalists are now using in order to get that message across. And I think we've just got to be, um, you know, as an industry, the world over, we're grappling with this at the moment because... Um, if we're all using the same tools and it's all online in the great, you know, democracy of of the internet, it does mean that it's getting harder and harder to tell the difference between something that has been produced by someone for nefarious purposes or for ideological or political reasons and something that has been produced by a journalist who's doing it there to inform the public. Um, And I think, you know, it's something that we have to grapple with as we we all move to use the same same tools we don't have the um the intermediary anymore of you know as much anymore of the sort of printed newspaper which your average citizen journalist can't invest in a printing press and and whatever so that we know that's been produced by a a newsroom or you know a television you've got to have a broadcast license and that kind of thing so as now just anyone can publish on the the internet using um those mobile skills and they're they're all looking roughly the same because as corin said the the technology means that you know your iPhones and your Androids and so forth are, are, um, do a lot of the work for you, really. You don't need a great deal of technical skill. It's something that we really have to grapple with. And we're already seeing um, the impacts on professional journalism um, of that. And it's, you know, it shouldn't be just a conversation that the industry is having. It's one that we all need to have as society because we must still have professional journalists.
1: And look, that's a discussion that we have a lot on Fourth Estate. We often talk about that difference between citizen journalism and journalism, the profession, and having also the resources, the legal backing as well. But you, you mentioned before that kind of distinction between the technical skills and the mindset, which I want to bring up again. So when you're training journalists in mojo skills, you're also, I'm guessing, training them to shift their mindset on how they plan for a story. So is that a big factor? How do you go about teaching them to to shift their mindset? Corinne, I'll go to you first.
2: One of the problems, I suppose, or barriers to adoption of mobile journalism has been this perception that because it is easier to use the equipment, um, that it therefore can be done quickly. and that it changes in some way the journalistic rigour that you would bring to a piece of work, when of course it doesn't. It's just a different device, right? So if you think about the transition from pen and paper to a typewriter, the person who is typing as opposed to writing, you know, one person using their pen and paper or typewriter might be, you know, adding up figures at their business and someone else might be writing a story that is going into a publication. So, you know, there's a set of skills that go with um, understanding how to use the technology. And then, of course, there are also the editorial skills, um, which go with with practicing journalism. And as Saffron's rightly pointed out, that go with a code of ethics that sits within an industry. Um, And what I find, because I'm working not just with journalists, but also with NGOs and with social impact organizations and, and also with small business, is helping those communities who are sitting outside of journalism to understand what sort of editorial considerations they need to make, um, what sorts of media laws they need to be aware of. Um, if they are moving into a different form of um, publishing, uh, to what extent does that overlap with journalistic publishing? And it's not a direct overlap, right? Uh, but for example, I was doing some training a few years ago with NGOs in North Africa. And at the end of the session, we were looking at what kinds of stories they could tell, and we had to have quite a long discussion about the uh, the editorial dilemmas that that was going to present, the legal challenges it was going to present, and also the safety issues that it was going to present. Those things sit within journalism, right, for those of us working within the industry, but for people outside the industry it is It's a set of soft skills, if you like, that also have to go with learning the tech.
1: And is there an argument that media organisations getting involved in mobile journalism training are doing it as a way to cut costs, to get journalists to do more with less? Saffron? Um, No. (laughs) I think it's just the reality
0: of the world um it's the reality of um the way people consume news um and of course you know in in the world that I um move in you know I started in journalism as a print journalist I mean I actually started at AAP Australian Associated Press or Wire so it was going out to everyone in fact but my stories, but um, but then you know worked in newspapers um, and still in in some ways work in newspapers for a very long time, and of course over that period we've seen a massive decline in print news- new, um print newspaper readership and of course a big uptake in uh, news consumption online, so um, this is the way of the world. If there are any cost savings there, they you know f- for an Australian context, and I know it's different for, for some of the training that Corin does. Um, because, of course, having smaller, cheaper equipment that anyone can use does mean that, you know, you don't have to spend as much money, you don't have to invest in massive TV cameras and that kind of thing. But in the Australian context, um, it's just where the technology um, is heading. So if the um, smartphone producers um, didn't continue to, to make better and better, you know, models that were easier and easier to use, then we wouldn't be using them, Right. Um, so it's definitely something that um, we've reacted to in the industry both from the perspective of the, the audience and how they consume their news and w- how they want to consume it and where um, and the technology available to do that, um, which has, you know, a whole lot of um, bonuses. You know, certainly in the print newspaper world, it doesn't sort of a- apply so much um, because the the biggest cost, as I know as someone who ran a newspaper, um, like my own newspaper, Um, the biggest cost is investing in the journalists and you still have to do that. (laughs) So um, it's not so much about the equipment. It's about hiring fantastic people who are passionate about journalism and are really good at their jobs and can tell a great story and, you know, can develop fantastic contacts and do great interviews. Um, That's where the biggest cost in journalism comes uh, and I wish um, more people um, who weren't in the journalism industry understood that um, that it's it, you know it's often talked about as all these sort of other costs, but really your number one cost in journalism is the journalists.
2: <laughs> I think there's no question that smartphones can be cheaper than traditional equipment, and what's exciting about a smartphone is that it's not just a camera for photography and a camera for videography; it is also a microphone. The first industry to use smartphones was radio back in around 2009. Um, And I think what's tremendously exciting is that at a reasonably low cost, you can get more cameras, more microphones, um, more radio studios, in inverted commas, into the hands of more trained journalists. And that's a global fact. Um, And I also think it's, you know, again, this uh, point about needing to be good at journalism and different genres of journalism sits alongside that. So in, I think it was around 2013, the Chicago Sun got rid of um, most of its photographers and gave everyone an iPhone. And quite famously, the quality of the photography was, was different afterwards, right? So, and why was that? It was because there were people who were not trained photographers taking photos.
1: Corinne, for journalists listening and for storytellers who are listening, what is some advice um, for getting started into mobile journalism? Where should they be looking?
2: You know, if you're a journalist, you are surrounded by stories all the time. Um, I think what's important is to get to know your phone, right? So the phone is I mean, people have often said, oh, it's a a television studio in your pocket, and that's a a lovely sort of throwaway line. But, you know, your phone isn't just for doing mobile video. It's for making podcasts. It's for taking photos. It's for producing infographics. Um, You know, you can produce data visualizations on it. Um, You can organize your life using your phone. You can improve your productivity on your phone. Uh, You can also use it to make phone calls, which is kind of exciting. Um, you know, and I think that's something that we sort of forget is that we we, you know, look towards mobile journalism as a sort of odd activity because all of these things have been bolted onto something that, you know, 30 years ago was was nailed to the wall with a cable. Um, but that's that is the reality, and I guess the other thing I would encourage too is we have these relatively new, not so new now, but still kind of new. Um, you know, platforms like TikTok and Instagram Reels, um, that is also where videography is going, right? So vertical-first platforms and vertical-first, first-person-led storytelling is where this industry needs to be next, right? That's also where the audience is and when we're thinking about connecting with young audiences, Um, people with whom we need to build a brand relationship right now so that in 10 years' time when they've got a job and they can afford to subscribe for a newspaper, they think, oh, you know what, I have familiarity with a news brand and I value it enough to pay for it. So that's, I think, where we, we need to be thinking. And, you know, these are also quite, they're low production value, high storytelling value platforms. So, you know, Reels and TikTok are both very, very forgiving in terms of what we would call mistakes in traditional television journalism and it's all about the story. So if you were to say where should you start, I'd say hop on the platform that you prefer the most and feel the most comfortable with um, and start just creating some content um, and get to know your phone. Yeah, so I would say
0: um, still be driven by the story. Um, I think that's that's the main advice I would give. I think that, as someone who's you know been a practicing journalist for so long and an editor and a trainer now, um, is that none of these tools replace the fundamental skills that journalists carry around with them in their head. Um, and it's the critical eye. It's the you know a bit like Corin said, you know stories are everywhere. The the tech will never replace the people who um, who bring that way of seeing the world that questioning that curiosity um, that love of of stories um, and that still has to be front and center no matter what technology you're using so in a way i'm kind of saying to your question um, this is what we're doing now um you know in 10 15 20, and then 50 years' time, it's going to be different again. Um, vertical storytelling, you know, is, is the way, the sort of focus of the next probably, you know, few years for journalism at least um, and for storytelling. But um, I would say stick hard to nailing the practice of journalism and all of the skills that come with that. And then the, the fun bit is finding all the different ways you can tell stories.
1: Thank you, Corin and Saffron, for joining us on 4th Estate. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much, Molly. And thanks for listening to the program. This edition was recorded at the studios of 2SER and heard across the country on the Community Radio Network. Fourth Estate is produced with the assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Thanks to the Foundation for their continuing support. Make sure you subscribe to Fourth Estate on all your favourite podcast apps so you can hear us talk about media, Politics and a lot in between. We'll be back with more next week, but in the meantime, you can stay in touch with us on Twitter. Our handle is Fourth Estate AU. Thanks to our executive producer Anthony Dockrell. I'm Marlene Even. Thanks for listening.